This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Feed. For 15% off your order, visit the link in the show notes and use code FITCOOKIE15 at checkout. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am your host, Holly Samuel, and I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and master of health education focusing in eating disorders, and your podcast host today. I am really excited to welcome our guest today, Regina DeGeorge, to the show. Regina is a physical therapist based out of Boston. We were actually connected through my dietetic intern, Sarah. Um, I love it when my interns have people in the community that they want, you know, to learn more from or think would be really good guests to have on the show to teach about certain topics. And Regina was one of those. Um, And we're going to talk today about stress fractures in runners and particularly in female runners. Um, Stress fractures are a huge topic. Um, You know, it's, it's an injury that I think hopefully not all runners will experience. But if you have experienced stress fractures before, you know that they can be a bummer. Um, And there's just a lot of different things to keep in mind when it comes to identifying why the stress fracture happened, how to treat the stress fracture, and how to prevent it from coming back. We're going to talk a lot about the physical therapy and the rehab component of stress fractures today. But I want to talk a little bit before we welcome our guest today too about how nutrition plays a role. Because if you have a stress fracture, especially if you're someone who has had like multiple stress fractures. If you haven't looked at your nutrition with a sports dietitian, you really should because it could be, you know, one of the biggest puzzle pieces that you are missing. One of the reasons that stress fractures can happen is that we don't have enough um, materials, aka energy or calories to allow our bones to build themselves back up stronger each time we break them down while we train as a high-impact sport like running, and also just as our bones break down and rebuild themselves on the regular like they normally do in humans. (laughs) So nutrition, you know, gives us enough materials to make sure that, you know, if we do stress the bone and we load it, like when we go for a run or go into a training cycle, that we're giving it enough materials to build itself back stronger. And the same can really be true for building muscle mass, you know, making hormones or anything else in the body. But one of the big causes of stress fractures that I see as a dietitian is people who are not eating enough, who are under fueling, whether it is intentionally or unintentionally. Um, And oftentimes, if you are not changing your food intake as your miles increase or as your training intensifies, or maybe you weren't a runner and then you became a runner, but you didn't really change much about your food intake. That can be a red flag that, ooh, maybe we need to look at that. Otherwise, there could be a bone injury coming for you down the road, or maybe you're already experiencing that. Other things to think about too are your micronutrient needs. We really need to make sure that we're getting enough vitamin D, calcium, phosphorus, zinc, magnesium, those bone building minerals and vitamins that really help our bones build themselves back stronger as well. And things like vitamin D can even change seasonally um, or with, you know, a training cycle or about of sickness. So again, it's really helpful to kind of understand where you're at with these things. And if you are looking for more information on that, I encourage you to scroll back a little bit and check out my micronutrient series in particular on vitamin D. So until um, you know, I do another episode on the nutrition for stress fracture, stress fractures and dive in even more. 
those are just some things I want you to think about on top of the biomechanical pieces that we are going to talk about today with Regina. So without further ado, let's welcome Regina DeGeorge to the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked about this. Awesome. Well, let's kind of jump into a little bit about you. So if you could tell everyone like who you are, what you do and where you are located, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm Regina DeGeorge. Uh, I go by Reggie, um, but I am a performance physical therapist um, and also a strength and conditioning specialist. So um, kind of act as a strength coach. I work um, at a cash-based clinic here in Boston, or I guess I'm in Boston. Um, it's called Ripple Physical Therapy. Um, and yeah, I'm originally from Southern California, but came out here uh, for school and went to Northeastern and then just ended up staying um, after college. So um, East Coast girl now, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, I don't hear that very often. Do you, what do you think of the East Coast? <laughs> um yeah I think I mean obviously I stayed here so there there are some redeeming qualities um I'm getting into the New England surf scene a little bit more so in the past couple years um and kind of uh just making it my own but it's been really fun I've enjoyed Boston as a city and it's it's just been awesome so oh that's good I was gonna say Southern Cali to Boston very different climates so I'm glad you're enjoying it (laughs) yes (laughs) and what are like your main ways that you like to move your body Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I kind of, um, have started to get into whatever seasonal sport is at the time. So I grew up kind of more surfing and in the ocean and things like that. And I'll still try to to do that out here. Um, but in the winter it's, it definitely changes over snowboarding and then, uh, week to week, day to day, I'm mainly just like doing kind of strength training and, and weight training in the gym, um, as well as, uh, runs depending on like the season as well. So I've, I've run a few half marathons in my day. Um, and we'll kind of like focus in more on obviously like training for that endurance wise when that, uh, kind of happens, but those are my main, uh, my main things. Oh, cool. That's a lot of different ways. I love that. (laughs) And what made you want to become a PT? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up doing all those like things for sure. But the main thing that I, I kind of got into as a, as a kid and throughout um, young adulthood was, was playing soccer. So was competitive soccer player, like since uh, peewee soccer until um, kind of just club in, so- uh, in college. But um, I kind of dealt with all of the aches and pains that come with that. So lots of knee injuries. I was in and out of PT for like chronic ankle sprains was just, getting my ankles taped like every single practice, every single game, um, and, uh, had been in PT for like concussions as well, but have had like mixed experiences. I think I'm like a pretty hypermobile and like pretty lax, um, person in terms of body type. And I think I received a lot of like passive treatments in like the more original PT and, was kind of frustrated that I just kept spraining my ankles and kept getting out of soccer. Um, but I uh, ran into and kind of got connected with um, a trainer who was part of like the LA Soul like female women's team when they used to have that back in the day. And he was more of like a strength and conditioning coach, um, but kind of opened my eyes into like the world of biomechanics and the world of strengthening and the world of strengthening for females, which is can, can be a completely different realm. Um, and I got a lot of confidence out of, um, 
working with him and kind of made me a little bit more interested in like that field of like just performance of like how that works and like I feel like people just expected you to be strong and fast and be able to cut and there was no preparation for that so um, I wanted to be PT to to kind of decrease those injuries and also like help people get more um, confidence and, and strength within their lives um, not only their sport so I love that. I think like the, the caveat we always go to with like young athletics is like, well, you're made of rubber, so you can just cut and it'll be fine if you fall down <laughs> until it's not until you tear your ACL or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're like, wow, they tore their other ACL, like the first game back. That's crazy. I'm like, no, that's not crazy. That's just way too soon. <laughs> it's just physics. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I love that. I've talked to a lot of PTs on the show and pretty much all of them like will say something along the lines of, oh, I like did a sport. I got injured. I had to see PT. Sure. <laughs> a lot of them say it wasn't a good experience at first. And then, <laughs> you know, maybe they find more of like that performance PT um, who is a little yeah. bit more specialized. And that's why I think it's so important to bring people like you on the podcast to talk about injuries because you know, PTs are great, but it's kind of like being a dietitian. Like we can specialize mm. in so many different things. Like I know so much about sports nutrition, but if you ask me about, you know, kidney disease, nutrition, I'm really not going to have that many answers for you. So it's similar right. in the physical therapy world. Totally. Um, so today we're going to dive into kind of a more specific injury. That I was really excited to chat with you about, and that is, I think probably like the one that all runners fear, um, you know, especially for my audience who are primarily endurance athletes, and that is stress fractures. Um, I think we think stress fracture, broken bone, definitely not running for several weeks. Um, and yeah. one of the things that athletes hate to be told is that they can't do their sport. Um, so can you talk a little bit about just defining like what is a stress fracture and what's the difference between like a stress fracture versus a stress reaction? Because I think that gets bounced around a Absolutely. lot too. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree that this is one of the like more feared um, injuries within like these repetitive kind of like athletes. Um, there's like a reason why you want to train this much and you build up so much endurance. So to be sidelined by this is, is definitely not fun, um, but uh, hopefully we'll shed some light on it today. Um, so yeah, so stress reaction is basically like swelling within the bone is like the simplest way that I put it. Um, so your bone goes through like a natural remodeling process, like without like trauma being added to it. So unlike muscle, muscle needs like a micro trauma or some kind of stimulus to change it. Bone just goes through that pretty naturally. Um, but basically, um, the reaction would be like a little bit more swelling or that like targeted remodeling process. Um, so it's kind of like a reaction to a load or to an activity. And then the way like a stress fracture would come about is the progression of the reaction. Um, so it can be an initiation of that and then it can, can progress into an actual fracture, um, stress fracture, and then a legitimate fracture after that if left untreated or not really kind of touched. So it kind of goes in, in severity, reaction, stress fracture, then full-fledged fracture. Um, but yeah, so it can kind of relax and um, rest and kind of get out of those reaction states um, if given the proper recovery. So. Gotcha. So this is different than like you step off the curb and you break your ankle. This is not an acute thing. This is yeah, like gradually over time. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely yeah. Some steps to it. 
And like in terms of stress fractures, like them happening gradually over time, like what are some of the main causes that you see of stress fractures, particularly in like the endurance community? Yeah, for sure. So kind of like what we've like mentioned before, this happens um, as a gradual thing. So there's got to be a there's got to be a load creating that, right? There's got to be a load creating the swelling. There's got to be something creating this fatigue of the bone almost. Um, so that usually is, I look for someone who is participating in like a high intensity repetitive load. So oftentimes our mind goes to running. It's basically single limb stance over single limb stance for thousands of steps um, in a few a 30 minute run. Uh, but it can also be in like basketball players or volleyball players or jumpers, um, anything where you're doing the same exact thing over and over again. Um, so putting the same load through that, that bone. Um, I would say the other thing I look for is, um, especially in my realm when I'm evaluating someone is what biomechanics do they have? Um, do they have like trouble controlling their arch? Do they have like certain things in their running gait or their walking gait? that might uh, put them more at risk for, for a stress fracture. Um, like what are they overusing? Things like that. Um, I would say one that like surprised me the most learning about and like something that has actually been a, a key thing to look for was um, medication. So if like someone has a history of seizures or if they're on any any like anti-epileptics um, or if they're on glucocorticoids um, those can actually predispose people to like being more vulnerable for a fracture um, so glucocorticoids like being like the things that are usually used for like autoimmune disorders they're actually used to like treat severe acne and like younger people sometimes so like that's like the situation that I ran into that I was like what like how did this happen <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah that one's like uh something I definitely try to keep an eye out for all of these I'm asking about um and then genetics and hormones I think we'll definitely talk about this for sure uh, but like delayed age like if you get your first period um obviously like more um, applicable to females but if you get your first period later in life um amenorrhea like the absence of the period um or oligomenorrhea so like longer period cycles longer than that 28 days all at risk for sure Awesome. Um, what are yeah. some other, like, yeah, well, like that's great. I love, I love the, the medication anecdote too, because I think that's something that not a lot of people are thinking about, um, sure. because they can actually, from my point of view, you know, they can definitely impact like nutrient deficiencies too. So I could see how that can tie right into having bone issues. Um, you mentioned like people who are not getting a period or people who are getting like an irregular period, especially if it's more long, um, like, is there any other um, component of like that type of population or female population, any point, like even in the life cycle where a stress fracture might be something to watch out for where they're more at risk. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as we're like in, in terms of like life cycles or lifestyles or life cycle stage, excuse me. Um, I would say like postpartum. So like, um, after, um, pregnancy, like you're going to, have to like use more calcium within breastfeeding with like even during pregnancy so there's going to be like a natural calcium deficiency so i'd say you'd be more at risk um as a result of not getting that nutrient um quite as much um also just like after um like peri and post menopause um 
there's going to be like a drop in estrogen levels and that also like leads to like a decrease in bone mass so we'll talk a lot about like bone density levels and things but if you can imagine like if the bone is not um quite as strong and it's still accepting the same load body weight wise running wise whatever you're doing high um repetitive activity wise um then it's going to be way more at risk for sure that makes sense and like is i i think one of the things i'm catching on to as well is that you know, stress fracture, like you said, reaction, then fracture, then, you know, full fracture kind of comes with, okay, there's an increased load on the bone. It's not able to basically rebuild as quickly as it's supposed to. Um, Mm -hmm. is some of that obviously has to do with load. And then it also sounds like just with some of these, um, other caveats, it also has to do with like materials given to rebuild bone from my department, the nutrition department. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of like, you know, materials that help rebuild bone, um, you know, those would be like your, your vitamin D calcium fats, you know, carbon take just enough energy calories in general. Um, so, I mean, I think it's interesting too, that even throughout the life cycle, like postpartum, when your energy needs are changing because you're, you know, maybe breastfeeding if you're choosing to, um, or, you know, peri post menopause where hormone levels are changing. Um, do you see like, under fueling, I know, you know, you kind of deal with the, the physical therapy, the load part of it, but do you see the under fueling component a lot in your patients who have stress fractures? Definitely. I think, um, any like during kind of the subjective taking or just like chatting and kind of get to know someone's lifestyle, I always try to start the conversation of like, Hey, like how is like your diet nutrition? Like, um, your kind of your period, like all of these, like other things that do affect not only their running and things like that, but just like how well we can recover in general, like you recover during a certain phase of your period better than others. Um, so I think it's just like super important to start that conversation. And then I definitely see, um, maybe someone who, uh, is trying to diet or maybe is under fueling based on what they're trying to put um, or what they're trying to like do activity wise is not kind of equaling out as much. Um, so I'm definitely kind of like flagging that and kind of bringing up that conversation. And then usually if it's a conversation past, like, Hey, this is what I know you need to get to be able to have that bone recover and have those tendons heal a little bit better. Um, but always make sure they're kind of like, I'll always refer out or like, make sure that (laughs) someone like you can talk to them about like what specifically they might need. Um, but I definitely see, uh, some under fueling in terms of caloric intake and micro and macronutrients for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, I'm curious on your take on this too. I've kind of heard, you know, the term overtraining and then I've heard a mm. lot of professionals almost, you know, say as ah, overtraining or is it just under recovering, um, you know, and nutrition can be a really big part in that. Like, do you think stress fractures can happen? Like when people are eating enough to support their activity, or is it usually like both the load and the nutrition mm. under fueling? Yeah, there's a, there's a great way to kind of like, uh, group these all together and it's, it's based on like high risk and grade and all that stuff. But, um, basically the more factors you have going against you, the more susceptible you are, the more likely it is to happen. It can still happen if you are properly fueling, um, and you're kind of potentially like, um, doing a lot of the same things, but with incorrect mechanics or with mechanics that are biasing something so much that that load just can't, um, kind of, or that, uh, capacity is no longer available to accept that load. So that might be like a specific, like 
bone in the foot um, that you might be putting pressure on because you have decreased dorsiflexion. That's kind of like where we come in is like, okay, if you're feeling some type of new onset of pain of like diffuse aching, that's just kind of getting worse and worse that if not something else might start to accumulate and be more of that pressure through a stress fracture. So that's really helpful. I love like the biomechanic piece of it too. So like in runners in particular, is there any place or any bone that you see very commonly stress fractures come up and you know, are there any common biomechanical issues that people can correct? Definitely. Yeah. I think, um, so everyone runs like very differently. I think you'll, you'll find that you watch professional runners and, and they might not even have like the most quote unquote textbook, like proper form. But, um, I think there's some things, especially, uh, that put female runners like more at risk, um, that has, has been like anecdotally and through research kind of shown, but, um, typically females will have more of like hip adduction or like femoral, um, kind of adduction where that just means like the femur is kind of drifting a little bit more towards the midline. So if you can imagine from your hip down to your knee is kind of like going inward, um, that's going to put a little bit more pressure through the joints that are below it. Um, so that inside of the foot, that inside of the knee, um, I would say like the most common, um, stress fracture that I see is going to be like a tibial or like a second metatarsal, um, stress fracture. Occasionally we'll see like a femoral neck. So top of the femur, um, but it can really happen. Um, I think in a lot of different places based on that individual's compensatory load, like wherever they're going to put it. Um, and, and that could be because of shoes, because of how they run, um, because of their mobility or strength deficits. That's really interesting. And I'm going to go on a total side tangent here because I'm curious about your answer to this question. Like, have you seen any increased incidents in any type of injury stress fracture with the new, like carbon plated shoes that a lot of runners have been wearing? Cause I'm dying to know. <laughs> so the, yeah, exactly. The carbon plated, we were just, just chatting about this the other day, actually, but something like a shoe, the technology since like, I think it's like the eighties or nineties has like changed so much and it has absolutely like helped running a ton, but also brought along like a lot of different injuries too. So, um, not necessarily stress injury related, but I find that a shoe that's way more stable motion control, all of that stuff, it's fixing what's happening at the foot. So if you have some kind of deficit there, like it's probably fixing it. That's what those carbon ones are doing. Um, but the injury will likely go up to the next joint. So think tibia, think knee, like they'll probably get some other load to that to, to kind of offset what's been happening at the foot that's been corrected. Um, and then the opposite is the same as well. So if you're wearing more of like that barefoot runner, um, minimalistic shoe, um, it might be helping out what's happening at the knee and hip, but you're still getting kind of like this offset load or some type of, of, uh, dysfunction happening in the foot. So more foot and ankle injuries there. Oh, that's, that's a really great question. <laughs> Thank you for going on that tangent with me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like these, these are so, so new. Applicable. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there has to be, there has to be something, you know, that's come out of some of this because it's like right. you, you put them on and you're like, I can tell us is a very different experience of a shoe, right. <laughs> especially compared <laughs> to like the minimalist ones that you mentioned. It's so different. Totally. Um, 
So it sounds like, you know, tibia, foot, and then females in particular, you know, it has to do with kind of like that adduction angle of the hip and, and femur joint, which I guess that kind of makes sense from the fem- femoral neck standpoint too. Um, if someone is like starting to, you know, develop a stress reaction and you work with a lot of different people. So, um, you know, I'm, I'd be curious to see like, what are some symptoms that would be red flags and like how early might a runner start experiencing these? And at what point is it a red flag? (laughs) Yeah, this is, this is such a good question. I think like everyone wants to know right away is like, is, is this a stress fracture? Is it not? And, and the tough part about these is when they start, they feel no different than like, if you had like an ache after, um, like just like playing too hard or running too hard or or doing something a little different in the gym maybe so usually it presents as like just diffuse it's more of an ache um it's usually during the run and it resolves with rest and then that's it and people are like okay that's like usually fine um so it's hard to differentiate I would say at that point in general um it's super important to be like if that continues happening for a couple days that's usually a training error or something that's going on. And so I'd say get that checked out, even if it isn't a stress fracture, it'd be something that could get worse down the road. Um, the way that it kind of progresses is then if you are continuing to have like symptoms earlier in your run, so say you go on five mile runs and it starts on mile two instead of mile four. Um, so the symptoms starting earlier is definitely like kind of another red flag for me or yellow flag, let's say. Um, and then progresses to pain like before and during the run and after the run, it takes way longer to resolve. Um, it might still resolve, but these kind of, you can see where I'm going. It's like now there's pain with like all weight bearing activities. Then that's at that point where it's like, okay, there's something definitely, definitely wrong here. And then the worst is usually like at night. Um, and then it doesn't resolve with rest. So in terms of when to come in, please do not wait until that end when there is night pain. Um, but coming in kind of when there's, there's kind of that ache that, that is maybe taking a little longer to resolve is when I would say um, to start thinking about going out to seek help um, and kind of to get a second set of eyes on it, even if it isn't a stress fracture. It's probably something that you should take a look at anyway. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's helpful for a runner's sanity to be like, okay, I know that it's not a stress fracture if I'm seeing someone, or I know that it's going to become one if I don't do something about it. Um, I think what's interesting about this injury too, and I'm not sure if you would agree, but with stress fractures, do you feel like runners would be able to like point to where it hurts versus with other more ambiguous injuries where it moves around? Definitely. Yeah. Like one of the things that like I use personally is to to check and like, they can obviously check this too, but usually it's within like 10 ish centimeters is like the ideal, but if it's in it's point tenderness. So it's like, I point here and it hurts and I point somewhere else and it's, it's fine. Whereas like a, a tendinosis or um, a, another overuse injury will definitely have um, some tenderness or pain or um, symptoms kind of radiating around the area. Um, yeah, I would say definitely like point tenderness and like having that like pain during weight bearing for sure are all like flags. Awesome. And when someone's experiencing this, like you said that you want them to come in before it's a big problem. So whether mm-hmm. it is currently a small problem or a big problem, um, where should a runner go? Cause I think this is another thing. If you've never been injured before, like you don't know who to go to and like what type of imaging or appointment you would even need to have. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea uh, or a great thought. But I um, definitely like just being a PT and being direct access now in, in Boston, I would uh, definitely like encourage people to even bring it up with their running coaches or with their physical therapists if they have one kind of that they go to. Um, that way you can at least get eyes on it before it becomes a thing, even if it's not and like kind of monitor that. And then they can guide you into the imaging. Um, so there's the MRI is, is kind of like our ideal um, image to determine basically the grade of what level stress fracture that might be. Um, so it's one through four. Um, you can sometimes see it on x-ray, but only if it's like worse. So you may not even be able to see that edema, that swelling um, on the x-ray if it's, it's early on. So it's tough to kind of detect it in like a radiograph in an x-ray that early on so some people get an x-ray they're like oh I'm fine but it's still hurting um what's going on so in that case it's like probably like a lower grade in which case we can definitely manage it conservatively but um I would say like having someone who knows that that's an option or knows that it could be still a stress fracture even if the x-ray was negative would be would be key there um and then kind of like talking with them from there about that. Do you typically need like a doctor's appointment or any type of referral mm -hmm. to go get an MRI? Like, or can a PT give that referral? How do you usually go about doing that? Yeah, unfortunately I, I can suggest like the, the MRI, I can like fast track it and kind of like chat with the doctor if they already have contact with um, like an ortho um, of some sort, but they would need to, to go and to get um, an appointment with an orthopedist, orthopedic surgeon of some sort, um, or like a PCP who could order that for them. Um, but I could like definitely recommend that and say, like, this is the view that I want. This is like where I think it is, especially if they have that point tenderness, like we're probably going to see something there um, instead of just getting like the wrong angle or something like that. So that would be very helpful in terms of guidance. Let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor, which is The Feed. You guys, when I first discovered The Feed, um, back at the very beginning of my training for the Boston Marathon this year, 2022, I was so excited um, because The Feed is a website that you can go to and they pretty much carry any sports nutrition brand item that you could think of and you can order samples. You can order full containers and, you know, in bulk supply and everything in between. And it is such an amazing resource that I point all my clients to anyone that I work with, because at the end of the day, sports nutrition, um, you know, the principles are going to apply to everyone, but what actual products work for your body and that you actually like that's really going to depend on the individual. So I love that I can partner with a brand that carries so many different sports nutrition products so that you can go find what works for you and you can go try samples so that you're making sure you're investing in something that you actually like. To go save 15% off of your feed order, you can visit the link in the show notes and use code FITCOOKIE15 at checkout. That is helpful, especially because it's like, once you get hurt, you're like, I want to know what it is. I want to know now. And I want to start the healing process and I don't want to wait. Totally. And healthcare sometimes is not on the same page. So exactly. <laughs> For um, sure. So with those different like grades of stress fractures or even stress reaction to include that in there, um, mm -hmm. I know like with a lot of PTs I've spoken to, 
you know, tendon injuries, other injuries. They're like, a lot of the times we can keep running, you know, to some capacity mm. or keep moving to some capacity through injuries, except for bone. Um, so could you talk a little bit about like, what does treatment patterns like tend to look like for those different grades? And are they different depending on the grade? Absolutely. Yeah. This is where it definitely gets a little complicated. And this is why it's so important to have someone who understands expectations wise, like what a high risk and a high grade could mean for your prognosis or your plan of care. Cause that might look completely different from someone else who has the same location stress fracture, but just a different risk and a different grade. Um, so I'll answer kind of like the first part of that, where it's, um, you definitely, unfortunately can't uh, be running during the healing process of this. And it does depend on the location of how long, but usually, um, with some stress fractures, you are non-weight bearing, um, until like radiographic healing until like that six week marker ish, um, to, to kind of let those, that remolding remodeling process happen again and everything kind of be at bay. Um, in terms of like expectations of how long this takes, um, high risk and high grade. So I'll kind of define those two first. So like higher risk basically means that it is a location on the body that is at risk for like a delayed union or of healing or like a malunion or non-union. Um, so that's going to be that like anterior tibia, that femoral neck, um, base of second met, all of that stuff. Um, and then the low risk is going to be, um, like a fibula or calcaneus, um, their heel pelvis, and those do really, really well conservatively. Um, and then the grade is I mentioned before, but kind of just one through four, and it has to do how much like edema is, is present on the MRI or on the imaging. So, uh, one being just kind of like a little bit of edema, a little bit of that light up and then four being an actual, um, kind of like fracture line is there. Um, so the high risk and high grade, um, that's the only one that could potentially require any type of surgical intervention. Um, and that usually can be handled conservatively if caught, um, and can take like up to a year for someone to return back to running. So like having that conversation is wicked difficult, but knowing that that's the timeline and there's still like cross training stuff you can do and kind of like getting into a space where that's not going to be a problem going forward, I think is huge. Um, lower risk and low grade, it can take like eight weeks. Um, so you're non-weight bearing and then you get back and it can be like eight to 12 weeks. And usually that's like still a long time for a lot of runners to hear, but, um, it like manages expectations a little bit better. And I think the biggest caveat is like, once there's any combination of risk and grade that's like higher than a low risk or low grade, um, then that adds um, actually like a few months to rehab um, just because we want to be like pretty conservative with it. And the whole treatment is like the entire time, there should be no pain with return to running. So usually with the tendon, we're like, oh, it's cool. Like three out of four, three, three out of 10, like four out of 10, that's, that's awesome for running. Stress fractures were not cool with that um there should be no pain as we return to running um just to to make sure that we're avoiding any future injury with it thanks for going through that that's helpful and yeah. I think um like the different grades and just the different locations is super interesting as to like 
what the timeline is affected because of those. So for like, say like a textbook patient who gets like a low grade, mm. low risk stress fracture, um, yeah. like, are they non weight bearing for like six to eight weeks? And then, cause I think what a lot of runners hear often is don't run for six to eight weeks, wear the boot, mm. do crutches, whatever. Okay, cool. You're done now. Go, go back to running. So like, what does it look like after the non weight bearing part? for someone who's not as complicated like that. For sure. So I would even like argue like during the non-weight bearing part, like we should still be, I'm a big like proponent of like working out while you're in the boot. Like um, there's plenty of ways to load and like strengthen muscles. I'm even excited sometimes they're like, because a lot of runners could, I think, use a lot more strength training. So I'm like psyched. Um, but I use that opportunity as like, this is your chance to get super strong. You have like six weeks. That's like how long it takes for muscle to come along anyway. Like stick with it. Like um, I get really like uh, focused on that portion so that when they do come out of the boot, yeah, they might have like some endurance deficits and they may not like have quite as much of that, that reserve. Um, but they have most, for the most part, besides like, around that area, like a lot more strength and, um, readiness to be able to return to sport. Um, so I'd say like during the boot, uh, non-weight bearing time we're strengthening. And then afterwards it is just like starting to load that, um, and continuing to strengthen around that spot as well. Yay. Strength training. Um, (laughs) so with like the, the rehab process for Mm -hmm. stress fracture and the part where you can strength train in other ways that are non-weight bearing when you are, um, I don't know, like when you're in a boot or when you're on crutches, like, or if you have a stress fracture, obviously there's a reason why that occurred. Do you often see like other compensatory, like compensate, I can't say the word compensatory words are hard. Um, do you see those types of injuries like in tendons and in other places as well that you're also just kind of trying to approach while they're healing? Yeah. You mean in addition to the the stress fracture they might currently have? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably like why PT is so important after the boot too, is like you're, you've been walking a certain way for six weeks and then you get out and it's, you kind of forget how to walk, honestly. So, um, being able to isolate all those little tiny like arch control muscles and things again um and going through biomechanics and strike pattern and like um kind of all these awesome tools that we have to return to run but in a way that um is absorbing that shock a lot better um is is key so not only just like throwing them in the gym um but you know training like okay where should my knee fall like near my foot and all of this stuff while i'm running um, what should my posture look like? Um, all of that. So we're working a lot on strength, but also like flexibility deficits, mobility deficits. Um, and then, um, in terms of like other injuries presenting themselves, that's obviously like hopefully going to be avoided if they've already had that pattern beforehand, then that's going to be something that we're going to try to train them out of. Um, and hopefully that, that kind of sticks, um, but knowing where that stress was in the beginning, like if I have a running analysis video of like what they're doing, I can usually see like, all right, they're dropping their arch and that's probably putting a lot of stress on like their inside tendons and things. Like I'm going to have a better idea of, of what to expect there. So kind of know what to target right out the gate, which will be really good. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And like, 
mm-hmm. you know, say someone, like you said, they, they're not weight bearing. They did the, the strength training while they were doing that. They got through their six to eight week period, the boots coming off. Um, like what does, what happens next? Like, is there a return to run protocol? Obviously this is not individualized advice, but, um, mm-hmm. like, is there a return to run protocol with, with walk run or do they incorporate various types of cross training first? Like what does that progression typically look like for a runner? Totally. Um, yeah. So I'll get someone first on a regular walking program. Like they haven't put weight on this foot. So, um, I usually shoot for like 60 minutes, like two or three times a week for a couple of weeks. Um, just like pain-free walking, no boot. Um, once that happens and it's not like a fluke or not something that um just like felt good that one day then I'll return to someone into a run walk program just like you said um and this is the the part where I'm like very strict with them no symptoms we're usually doing like a couple minutes on a couple minutes off um 20-30 minutes um and that's usually that takes typically about four to six weeks um doing that and so that ramps up a ton less walking more running obviously so you you are starting to get back into it um but focusing on decreasing their pace decreasing their volume um and then i focus a ton during that time on those gait mechanics so like what is their cadence um can it be adjusted should it be adjusted um a lot of the times with people who have had a stress fracture pretty like uh, loud running, kind of like heavy stoppers. So we work a lot on like quiet running and, and treadmill drills and things like that. Um, and then knowing like their their strike pattern in general too. So if they had a calcaneal or heel stress fracture, you know, I might actually want to like change their strike pattern. I don't want to usually change people's strike patterns. It's a little um, off the, off the chain there, but like during this like training session, if, if I want to like get a little less pressure through there, then I might encourage more of like a midfoot strike, um, during those few weeks. Um, and then obviously if you have like access to a treadmill that like the, the gravity minimized or the alter G treadmills, um, that would be really cool. Um, I don't have that <laughs> unfortunately, but that'd be something that would be really awesome to, to integrate into that, uh, six week, like run walk progression program. And once someone has like no symptoms at all with that stuff, and we're continuing to do all the stuff within mobility strength, um, and, and monitoring like their load capacity, then they can start kind of getting back into their training program again, um, symptoms aside. So. Yeah. And I think (laughs) that's so helpful. And I think like a lot of runners are just like type a, like give it to me straight. So I think a lot of them too are like, okay, you know, I followed the PT advice. I did the boot. I did run. I did the things, you know, maybe I got referred to a dietitian. I'm eating more. That's really hard, but I'm doing it. I'm taking my supplements. I'm correcting deficiencies. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like I get, you know, six months down the road and I start to feel a pain again. Like, do I have to keep doing all of these things that I accumulated over the course of this rehab process? And like, how long does it take for adjustments to kick in or, you know, really become a habit? Like, do you see people who kind of maybe stop doing some of those accessory exercises or just regress? Like what, what does the remission process look like? (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) um so with like how long they have to keep things up obviously they stuck to the plan and things there um and 
the the program that they had was individualized to them and helped their specific needs. Uh, my goal is for people to do like maintenance at that point. If running is their their main thing, and they went through like the strength training with me, and they took it takes like muscle in general like at least six to eight weeks to start to build up. So if they kind of got that awesome baseline and they're able to upkeep it with some cross training, um, like once, maybe two times a week, um, then they should start to see, um, pretty, pretty much like they should be in that maintenance phase. Um, so that would be like, kind of check, like we're good strength wise. The other thing would be kind of like, okay, biomechanics and things like that. As long as we did like a good job with, um, kind of addressing those specific things that they could work on. If they're feeling like they're falling back into that pattern, they always have that arsenal of like little tiny drills to, to maybe mix into their runs to kind of see if they can um, resurrect that or if that's why. Um, and then kind of, new, I would say like, usually the change that I see is like, uh, maybe like a nutrition or a stress or an overtraining or an increase of like pace drills. That's usually when something starts to go wrong. And that's why those injuries happen in the first place is maybe because of their training for something, maybe with a little bit shorter of a window or they wanted to improve their speed and are incorporating more pace drills and more sprinting drills. Um, and, and that's kind of when that cycle starts to get disrupted again. And that transition from the targeted remodeling to the bone adaptation or being able to take more load um, is compromised. Do you see like any common cause for someone who has like recurring stress fractures? And obviously they do the rest, mm -hmm. like they do what they're supposed to do and keep off of it for eight weeks. But do you see any common cause okay. of like someone with multiple? It's definitely a risk factor if someone's had one before. Um, that's kind of like, okay, sirens are going off type of thing. Um, a cause in itself, I would say like it's that transition from the targeted remodeling to the bone adaptation, like there was probably not enough like rehab being done there in terms of strengthening and like letting muscle take the force instead of the bone taking the force, um, especially if it's in a similar location on the other side. Um, that's, that's kind of like what I would see the most. I don't see a, a ton of those. Occasionally I'll see the same thing. Like the second metatarsal sits a little bit lower. Um, and I've, I've found a lot of like track athletes um, have, had like reoccurring second metatarsal stress fractures. Mm. Um, and, and that just could be because of like, like the demands of the sport at the time and like their races and things like that. Um, so I find it's, it's usually definitely a risk factor, but something that comes when they have to like train harder than they maybe would like to at that point in time. Um, instead of letting things like naturally kind of get back to, uh, to recovery zone. <laughs> But the good thing about kind of what I tell people, um, if you kind of go through that recovery phase and you're able to go through everything really solidly, the next portion is like bone adaptation. So your bone actually, like if you load it a ton at the right pace and at the right um, like frequency, then it's going to get stronger and be able to attenuate way more load. So it's so worth it to put in the work and like to get after it because um, that bone on the other side will usually be stronger. Um, and that's kind of like how that, that bone mineral density kind of works, which is great. That is great. Do you, um, I was going to say on the bone density standpoint, do you like mm -hmm. recommend bone density scans at any point in the whole process? Yeah. Um, 
I haven't like recommended a ton to them unless I'm pretty um, concerned about like their nutrition or things like that. Or if they're at that life cycle stage where, where maybe like the bone density is lower um, because it can adapt. Um, it can kind of get after it, but I would say like anyone with like an osteopenia or any type of um, lower like micronutrient levels, like I will absolutely like send them out for, for bone scan. Um, uh, and I think it's just nice information to have, especially if they're, I'm usually referring out at that point too, cause that's not like really, I don't know too, too much about that. Um, but I know it's like important information to have for sure, um, to make sure that we're doing, uh, due diligence for sure. Yeah. So even if you're doing all the right things, if you have low bone density overall, mm-hmm. you know, it's helpful to know yeah. that cause you're going to be at higher risk for a recurrence. Absolutely. Awesome. And I mean, this is a question I want to ask too, because I think runners are super hardcore <laughs> and I've heard, I've heard stories of people say things, whether they're professional athletes or just recreational athletes, you know, say things like, Oh yeah, my foot kind of hurts. It's getting worse. I can mm-hmm. definitely tell it's a problem in the back yeah. of the head. They know what the problem is. Um, but like I have this race or it's the Boston marathon. Yeah. I worked so hard to get here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to run the race and then I'll fix the injury. What do you have to say to someone who's maybe having that thought process? Yeah, um, I've I've encountered and kind of chatted with um, this theoretical person before. Um, definitely get that being like a competitive athlete growing up myself. I'm extremely competitive. So um, I would say like knowing what I know now about how much worse the rehab can get and how long it can get. Um, I really try to put it into perspective for them and just kind of like level up and, and just figure out like, all right, like, why are you doing the marathon in the first place? Like what, like, let's like get into it and kind of like get on their level. Because I think if I just rattle off, like, yeah, you're going to be like way higher risk and higher grade. Um, and it's going to take up to a year, most likely you may need surgery. Like that might land for some people, but, um, I think athletes are a very like unique, uh, type of person and, and, kind of figuring out like what's going on and why is is kind of big for me but I would kind of chat with them and kind of let them know obviously like what I've learned about these things and how long it can take um but you know at, at the end of the day it's like all right we we need to weigh like costs and and, and minuses here so yeah I <laughs> it is tough it's so hard because like someone's like two weeks out and they're like all right well it's just gonna get like pretty much worse and I'm like you know, I don't know how much edema happens in two weeks that maybe you'll go from a two to a three or a three to a four. But um, I think it is important to just think about like the longevity and like the future of, of your bones too. Like you only have the one set. So um, taking care of them and uh, knowing the risks I think are, are huge. And um, I think not prolonging that rehab is going to be better on you for sure for the long run. So pun intended. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's tough. (laughs) No, I love it. Um, yeah. I mean the poll key takeaways, even from the conversation, like if you continue to stress the area, you are going to have a higher grade or potentially higher risk problem. You're probably going to develop like other, um, injuries, like in different places because your gates changing or biomechanics aren't great. Um, and if you do turn it into a stress fracture or a complete fracture, that's going to increase your risk of getting another one in the future. So even if you do yeah. all of the really hard work, you know, you are kind of putting that label on yourself as well. So I think it's helpful right. to let 
lay it all on the table. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, listen, like, okay, do it, but you, you might need surgery. Like, honestly, like this, this stuff isn't, isn't a joke, unfortunately. And it's, um, like you said, definitely something where it's like, all right, well, do you want to run a marathon next year too? Like, <laughs> let's, let's weigh the, the risks here. <laughs> Yeah. Like the race is not going anywhere. It will be yeah, there. We absolutely. promise make a decision for your body. Um, exactly. well, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation? I mean, I think this was also helpful. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, yeah, there's a ton of stuff on this, I think in general. And, um, I think it can get really confusing and get really like frustrating at times too, because it, it isn't, like an ache and a pain that just kind of goes away. Um, it requires very specific rehab, um, based on that place. And I think, um, I would just like encourage people to even just establish a connection with like a local provider, um, whether like it be a strength coach or a PT, a registered dietitian, someone to just kind of like bounce this stuff off of, because I think the little signs, um, might not mean a lot to you, but if you kind of mention that with a couple other historical things um, to someone, like they could really be looking out for you and kind of prevent a problem um, that might get a lot worse down the road. So I would just say like, there's there's a ton of awesome providers in Boston and in, in their area probably. So um, even if it's like you're an athlete of some sort, it's, it's always going to help knowing more about your body. I love that takeaway. It's such like a a double-edged sword to being injured. Cause you're like, you don't want to hear this when you're injured, but it is a really yeah. good opportunity to learn about your body and you are going to come out stronger for it on the other side. Absolutely. Well, where can people find you? Um, if they are looking for a PT and they're in the Boston area. Yeah. Um, so I'm at uh, ripple physical therapy. Um, it's in back Bay area in Boston, right on Boylston street. Um, and yeah, we are a cash-based clinic, so it's, it's been really nice to have like that full 60 minutes with patients and be able to like actually delve into all of this stuff, um, and have the time to get their, you know, their full lifestyle, their history, their training goals, like everything like that. Um, and then, yeah, so I've been, I've been here and then I'm on Instagram as well. I just read you to George DPT. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's been awesome. great. <laughs> I will make sure I link that in the show notes for people to find uh, Boyl- Boylston street. People have probably heard of that before if they're in the room. Yeah. I was like, it's a pretty, pretty fun area. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I want to ask you one last question end of the podcast question. So say you are like having the best, the best surfing session of your life, or you're winning a soccer game or you're crossing the finish yeah. line of a half marathon. And it's like the best day ever what song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you're feeling in that moment? (laughs) This is, yeah, this is such a good question. Um, I feel like, I feel like I want, I've, there's been like a lot of like Elton John farewell tour stuff happening recently. So I've like been thinking about that a lot. (laughs) Um, and like the song that I like most, uh, think of like, the swagger walk after like the like I'm not tired but I just like killed it out there um, I just think Benny and the Jets and just like strutting to like I don't know down Boylston if you will like <laughs> um that's kind of like what I've been feeling nowadays so I would say Benny and the Jets for sure <laughs> oh I love that answer I think um <laughs> Elton John I don't think has been mentioned yet on the show and I I totally love Elton John he should definitely be on our playlist so I will add it <laughs> 
it's just yeah it's just it's just catchy you're swagger walking and that's it you're good to go <laughs> oh I love it well thank you so much for coming on the show today and thank you so much for providing all of this information it was super helpful yeah awesome thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it Regina, thank you so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and expertise on this particular running injury. I hope that you guys learned something today. I hope that none of you ever get stress fractures (laughs) ever because they don't sound very fun, but if you have gotten them in the past or if you currently have one or think you might have one, hopefully you gained something from this episode. To wrap up today, I wanted to try something new for the end of the podcast and shout out a review left by one of you, because I appreciate these so much, you guys. I've gotten a ton of reviews and, you know, some of them have constructive criticism, which I've taken to heart and tried to improve like my quality of audio and podcast and things within my control. Other people have just told me, you know, what kind of content they like, which is really helpful as a creator. Sometimes it's hard for me to think outside what I'm interested in and see what you guys would be interested in. So let's shout out a review left by Megan. Holly gives such good information for runners of all levels, from fueling to injury prevention, strength training, and more. Would highly recommend to anyone looking to gain more knowledge in the sport. Thank you. Thank you so much, Megan. I really appreciate that review. I do try to cover nutrition, but also injury prevention and just training tactics in general for all levels of runners because I do want to give you guys a little bit of everything in those topics because as runners, we need to be concerned about all of them. So I really appreciate the review. If you would love to leave a rating or review on the podcast, I would really appreciate that. It's really good for the show and it does help me continue to be able to keep doing the show. And I really like doing the show. So I would really appreciate it if after you finish listening listening to this episode, you went and left a rating and review. Until next time, guys. Until next time, guys. I cannot talk today. <laughs> Happy running. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.